Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Sometimes it's hard for me to imagine how busy these football coaches must feel this time of year. I mean, personally, I feel really busy just getting my kids back to school and you know preparing for the start of the season here. But ultimately, when it comes to football, all I do is talk about it. The coaches actually live it. They're actually you know creating all of this. And here before the start of practice coming up in just a few days, Georgia has also been incredibly active on the recruiting front the last two days as well, getting a commitment from Dylan Bell, the receiver from Texas yesterday. And or I should say two days ago, and today we start the show by talking about Georgia getting another commit yesterday, uh, last night, in the person of Griffin Scroggs, an impressive-looking offensive lineman out of Grayson High School. I've said before that, listen, I'm I'm greedy when it comes to recruiting. I want the very best players from around the country, but I do really like it when Georgia also goes into the state of Georgia and pulls out a big name. Scroggs from uh, Grayson High School, that's a program that most of us who follow high school football know a good bit about. In fact, let me show you on the screen the announcement from Scroggs, uh, letting you know that he's made his uh, pledge to the uh, University of Georgia. And there's something cool about when a guy commits to Georgia from a high school program that's very easy to follow, seeing his progress that's gotten him to this point, seeing what happens for him in his senior year I think that has a chance to make guys like that an even bigger fan favorite once they arrive on campus because they're just easy to follow now the next time Georgia goes out to whatever state and gets the best player from that state we'll talk about the national reach of UGA and the brand the dog nation has established and we'll talk about all that then but for now we're talking about this and as I've said before all things being equal I like keeping those dogs at home Griffin Scroggs an example of that there's also another point I want to make here quickly uh, just for a moment that One of the phrases that you hear attached to Scroggs very frequently is the idea that he's a fast riser, that he's somebody that has really grown on Georgia's radar over the course of however long, certainly over the course of this summer and prior to that. Who knows how much this has been in development? I think sometimes we're left to wonder exactly what that means. I mean, somehow, some way, it seems to suggest he's gotten better as a player. But how can you and I measure that? For those of us who are watching these games on TV or high school football games from the stands, you know, sometimes measuring that with an offensive lineman can be a little bit difficult to do. But I think sometimes these kinds of points are actually fairly simple, that it doesn't take a lot of astute analysis to describe what this is. I'm going to do something here that I don't typically do. I don't you know, typically necessarily highlight other folks who kind of cover Georgia outside of our little uh, you know media entity or dog nation. But I thought uh, Rusty Manziel, who some of you know, had a very interesting tweet. And I think on the subject of Griffin Scroggs being a fast riser, someone who goes from maybe being off of Georgia's radar to now being squarely on it to the point that he had an offer he could commit to and jumped to the chance of doing that. This side-by-side photo I'm about to show you, for those of you watching on video, I think is a perfect example of this. This is Rusty Manziel from Twitter of Griffin Scroggs. So what Rusty writes is is that uh, um, when he first met Scroggs in 2018, he was six foot one, 335 pounds. Now he's six foot five and 300 pounds. Now I want you to just look at this. Um, the young man on the left is pretty clearly a college prospect. He wouldn't be wearing you know a camp T-shirt if he wasn't. But that's not necessarily an elite physique, right? And I think that even Griffin himself would say that that he had you know a little bit of uh, growing to do when it comes to his physique. But look at the transformation there on the right side. 
Now, as I said, now, as it has been commonly mentioned, Scroggs is a pretty tall dude, right? I mean, he's 6'4", 6'5", whatever else. To be in that kind of condition, you know, clearly beef, clearly some muscle mass, uh, you know, clearly that kind of good shape, while also being 6'5", is just not an easy thing to do. We talk about this all the time. When it comes to, like, high school athletes getting in pretty good shape, whether it's, like, the professional wrestler physique that a guy like uh, Branson Robinson has or just a guy like uh, Griffin Scroggs who's transformed his body just to gain more muscle mass, at the high school level, that's a really hard thing to do because a lot of this is based on nutrition. And when you get to a place like Georgia, you've got a plate of food that's perfectly designed for you based on your specific bodily needs they got scientists studying all this kind of stuff and every single morsel of food on your plate has been planned for you to eat but a high school kid i mean all he's eating is whatever his mom and daddy bought for him. i mean you know the idea that you have that kind of fuel for your body when you're in high school is just not an easy thing to do and listen i've never been a huge gym rat or anything like that some of you have been and you know this to eat enough calories to, you know, to put on big muscle mass is not an easy thing to do. You hear about people waking up in the middle of the night to eat enough calories or putting butter in their coffee or all kinds of weird stuff just to get enough calories to to kind of transform their body the way they want to. Nutrition's a big part of it. So when you think about, you know, Griffin Scroggs and, you know, how are you a fast riser and how are you growing on the Georgia radar? I think those two pictures side by side shared by the reporter who covers UGA, I think it's a pretty good example of that. That you go from a 2018 kid who's you know certainly big and on college radars but maybe not all that muscle mass in the right place to all of a sudden here we are now you know posing side by side with Kirby Smart chest sticking out of the t-shirt and all the kind of stuff that you want to see uh, a prospect at a place like Georgia doing and I have kind of a working theory about this I have really no idea if it's true or not but I have a belief that if you were to look at three-star players who go on to college success and kind of outperform their college success their their recruiting ranking once they get to college I'm a big believer that a lot of those stories the commonality they might share is bodily transformation I think you'd see that with Jordan Davis right one of the reasons why Jordan Davis is so much better as a college player than his high school recruiting ranking would have suggested that he would be. Part of that's maybe George's ability to identify him as a defensive lineman when some of the world maybe thought he was an offensive tackle or something along those lines. But I think you also see a little bit of body transformation there as well. He was a big, beefy guy, but putting that weight in the right place and giving the chance to be as mobile as you need to be to be an SEC defensive lineman, that's kind of part of that. That that, that some of what you see from the three-star guys who really thrive at colleges, in some cases they just get taller, which occasionally happens for a high school kid. Some of the small guys get a chance to add a little muscle mass. They get a little beef, beefier. And then for some of the big guys, they kind of transform that 300-plus pound frame and put that weight where it needs to be and kind of reshape it in a way that gives them a chance to, to be more of a factor on the football field. And I don't know, I'm not a you know sports science expert. I'm certainly not a strength and conditioning coach, but I'd say those two side-by-side photos from Scroggs, not to say that he wasn't a college prospect before, but in terms of why he's to a greater degree on the radar for schools like Georgia, you look at a body change like that, you get a little bit of an idea of why that might have taken place for a guy that obviously kind of has some of the other God-given stuff, you know, big, long, tall frame and everything else. I think that's a pretty interesting thing. Now, in relationship to all of this, you've got the Dylan Bell news from the beginning of the week, the Griffin Scroggs news from yesterday. All of a sudden, Georgia's starting to add a, a lot of uh, stuff here to this 2022 class. And Jalen Walker, who I think is just one of the more popular recruits in this class, had a tweet within the last you know day or so that has reminded me of 
some of the things that you've heard from Georgia classes in the past. Commonly, you remember, like the 2017 class, Richard LeCount was always doing this kind of stuff. It kind of horrifies me to think that we've now all lived long enough that looking back on the 2017 class kind of rings like nostalgic, kind of like a blast from the past, but it was kind of a while ago now. Most of those 2017 guys have moved on from the program. But the point is, the same way that class was so much fun, the ground floor of the Kirby Smart era, and Richard LeCount was always out there, we're not done yet, we're not done yet, we're not done yet. And every time a guy like that would say that, Georgia fans would get so fired up. It seems like Jalen Walker is uh, taking on that role a bit for the class of 2022. Let me show you the tweet here from Walker on the screen. Uh, Walker says, so y'all think we are done? And he laughs about it, and he says, you haven't seen anything yet. And if you look at the picture, for those of you watching on video, he's got the keep chopping axe. Here's my rule in life. Anybody who's got an axe in their hand and seems happy about the idea of using it, I'm going to believe whatever that guy says. So the fact that Jalen Walker's that comfortable holding an axe and uh, that eager to use that axe, that means that I'm going to take him at his word when he says this 2022 recruiting class for Georgia is also looking to keep chopping wood there as well. So here's the thing. I would say that the, uh, the 2022 class is certainly far from done. Before we're done on today's show, by the way, maybe a little bit of a nugget about an elite prospect that Georgia might be back involved with again in a way that you may not would have thought maybe just a few days ago. So we'll give you more on that. Uh, there, There is clearly work left to be done for this 2022 class. But in just what we know right now, both in terms of the guys who've worked hard to get on Georgia's radar or in terms of the guys like Walker who've been commits you know, kind of for a while, I love the personality of this class. I love Branson Robinson. I love Malachi Starks. I love Jalen Walker. Uh, I, I love the personality of this class. The guys who just seem really eager to be here, really excited to bring guys in the fold with them. And I'm like you. I mean, th- the summer to a degree hasn't gone quite the way I probably thought it would for uh, Georgia's 2022 class. I'm not going to fully deny all of that, that you know, there is still some big, heavy lifting yet to be done. But I can simultaneously look forward to seeing that accomplished while I'll also appreciate what has been done. Uh, Georgia has brought some very interesting names in this class. I love the way in which they tout the idea that there's more still to come for this group, and it's going to play out during the season. It's going to play out as we head towards December and If the recent past has taught us anything, it's all going to work out with Georgia signing another elite recruiting class. Guys like Scroggs and Bell this week are the next step in that direction. And Jalen Walker, let's take him seriously when he says, keep your eyes glued for more big news in the days to come. And I take that very seriously. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Harris. Cherokee Casino Resort, glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Also, brand new venture that seems to be going really well, watching the show live on dognation.com each and every day. That's a really fun thing to be able to do. So much work going on behind the scenes to have made that possible. It's great to be able to share the show with you that way each and every day of course if you listen podcast wise that's good stuff glad to have you apple spotify everything else radio with our friends on Athens sports radio 960 the ref every afternoon at 12 p.m love being able to do that just however you get to us glad to have you with us here and of course harris cherokee casino resort the one that makes it all possible and you know there is still time to get in that summer getaway before the season gets here you got a few great weekends left to take advantage of what is a beautiful time of year in the mountains of western north carolina and nestled right in there in those wonderful peaks 
is the Harris Cherokee Resina. Let me try that one more time. Sometimes words can be very hard. Harris Cherokee Casino Resort Properties, whether it be the original Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River, whichever one you're talking about going to, you're talking about a two-hour drive from where I'm sitting right here in the Atlanta area, a chance to take advantage of a luxurious spa, great entertainment options, of course, casino gaming, real table games right there at the uh, Harris Cherokee Casino Resort Properties. The sports book is now open, gourmet restaurants, all kinds of stuff. So place your sports wagers, get your uh, you know table games in, enjoy yourself a good time with the spa and the restaurants and everything else. Just make sure you check all of that out. Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River website to learn more, caesars.com slash harris-cherokee. That's caesars.com slash harris-cherokee. And it's great to have Harris Cherokee Casino Resort presenting Dog Nation Daily to you here today. We've got Mike Griffith coming up in a moment. We'll talk to Mike about the start of Georgia practice. That begins later on this week, and that's going to be a very big deal as you start to get closer and closer to Georgia Clemson on September the 4th. Before we get there, though, I do want to go around the doghouse here today. And I was thinking about something the other day. If you want to go back to, like, say, the early 2000s, like way before I had any kind of, like, media platform whatsoever. Certainly there was no such really thing as podcasts back then. I wasn't doing radio really yet, uh, not really doing any kind of TV or anything like that. I was just, you know, a sports fan who wanted to be in media. And so I was, like, listening to sports media, watching sports media all the time. I'd drive around my car. I'd listen to the radio. And, you know, if Georgia had a big game, and it's kind of funny, being a big Georgia fan – you'd think that I would love to hear people say good things about Georgia. But I always kind of find myself when someone was saying, oh, this game's coming up for Georgia and it's going to be easy. Georgia's going to get an easy win. I always kind of felt like that actually kind of bothered me as a fan for some reason because I guess I do, having grown up listening to Larry Munson, had grown up watching Vince Dooley as the coach of the dogs, two figures who were notorious for their pessimism at times, for lack of a better phrase. I guess I was kind of cut from that same cloth as a Georgia fan. And so, you know, when somebody would go on the radio and say, ah, Georgia's going to beat whichever team, you know, easy, it's going to be a cakewalk for Georgia. I always kind of felt like the host that was saying that or the personality that was saying that, they've got no skin in the game. They've got no idea what they're talking about. If they're wrong, it costs them nothing. You know, they're just downplaying the significance of the game. In my mind, that as a fan of the team, I had certainly built up in a huge way and built up to be very important. And the reason I was thinking about that is because I think that the current chatter and what we kind of think of as talking season, this time of summer before the practices begin, the season begins, this time of summer can be kind of the same way, where there's really nothing like media talking head, sports writer, national figure, whoever else. There's really nothing that those people can say that satisfies most Georgia fans. Because on the one hand, if one of those people, like say Pro Football Focus, which you talked about yesterday, if they talk bad about Georgia, well, a lot of Georgia fans don't like that. But on the flip side of things, if they talk too well about Georgia, well, that almost kind of feels like rat poison. And that kind of feels like, as I described before, someone with no skin in the game hyping Georgia without any real risk if they end up being wrong and almost toying with the emotions of Georgia fans who obviously have a lot invested in the upcoming season. So with that in mind, I was trying to think about what has been said about Georgia, you know, what's the language that's out there right now and what should matter as we head towards the upcoming year. And there was a piece this week at ESPN.com that I thought was interesting, kind of looking at the knowns and the unknowns for Georgia here this year. And obviously by now we have done so much of this. Hey, Here's a proven commodity. Here's an unproven commodity. Secondary, you're worried about that. Offensive line, you got your concerns there. Taking the next step offensively, whatever, whatever, whatever. And 
you know, when you keep hearing this over and over again, you kind of keep, still keep coming back to the same spot. That ultimately, we don't really know what George is going to be. You know, they go out there and show it on the field. There's just no way of knowing ahead of time if this team is going to fulfill all the potential that exists for it. So with that in mind, let me give you a couple of phrases here from this story at ESPN.com. And the point that I'm trying to get to is this, is that given that we can't know outcomes of the games before they are played, if you are a Georgia fan and you want to justify feeling good about the upcoming season, phrases like the couple I'm about to give you, I think come as close to providing that as almost anything can. Uh, Bill Conlon was the writer at ESPN.com, and one of the things that he mentions about the Georgia offense is it has a, quote, ridiculously high ceiling. Now, I think that's great. Now, now that also is kind of a double-edged sword of if it's got a ridiculously high ceiling, that doesn't mean it's achieved that yet. It just means it has the potential to achieve that. But if this was like Team X, not your favorite team, not Georgia, just some random team that's out there, and the consensus opinion was they, quote, had a ridiculously high ceiling on offense, that would be a team I'm thinking that you would be interested to see on Saturdays. That would be a team I'm thinking if you're a gambler, you might think about betting on. If you were, you know, the kind of person that likes making, you know, playoff predictions, things like that, you might be paying a little closer attention to. That that's a nice compliment for Georgia to receive ahead of the start of the season. Another thing that Bill Conley wrote in the recent piece there at ESPN.com was the idea that Georgia was, quote, all but guaranteed uh, to have a front seven that will be elite. Once again, that doesn't speak to the fullness of the defense because secondary is still a concern. And, you know, obviously nothing's a full guarantee, but Bill Conley says it's all but guaranteed that Georgia will have an elite front seven again. So think about this once again. So, so you've got, you know, neutral observer ESPN, far removed, outside the bubble of Dog Nation, pretty respected writer saying, hey, offense with a ridiculously high ceiling, front seven all but guaranteed to be elite, and now what do you do around that? What do you do to fulfill that potential? What do you do with all of that? And all things being equal, that's a kind of a nice thing to have said about your team. You know, it, it doesn't satisfy those who who really want all their doubts erased before game one. And it doesn't quite, you know, rise to the level of being the kind of rat poison that some people think is unnecessary hype. It's just kind of a fair, objective piece of analysis about Georgia. That if you're a UGA fan, your team that you're getting ready to watch, the one that you hope to see against Clemson and every game after that, has got almost just as much of a chance to win this championship this season as almost anybody else could. And i got to tell you something. As Georgia gets ready to begin its practices later on this week, and before you know it, game one against Clemson and the other 11 that will follow after that, i got to tell you, that's a pretty good place to be at the beginning here of this season. That is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Before we're done today, as promised, I told you that there is a really nice piece of information out there about maybe an elite recruit that's maybe considering Georgia more strongly than we would have thought maybe a few days ago. It also kind of harkens back to something we talked about on yesterday's show. So we'll talk about all of that before we're done. But for now, for the dogs on the field, the practices that are about to begin and what we'll learn from them once they start, let's get it all from Mike Griffith here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll say hello to Mike Griffith. Of course, he's going to be all over uh, Georgia practices once they begin, uh, hearing from players and trying to scoff up whatever rumor or, or you know just kind of collect together all whatever rumors kind of pop out there about who's doing what on that practice field. Should be certainly fun stuff. And, Mike, before we kind of get more into that, I don't know how much of what you uh, uh, got to hear of what I was just saying, but you kind of get the point that I'm coming from here, that if you're a Georgia fan, 
you know, there's some Georgia fans who want every doubt erased before the season begins of who's going to start with the offensive line and how the secondary is going to gel and how all that's going to go. And there's some Georgia fans who kind of don't want to hear anything good about their team at all because it feels like the kind of rat poison that's just too much hype all the way around. But one way or another, when you look at what is the fairly common analysis of UGA, it certainly seems like the dogs start this season, start this summer series of practices in a pretty good spot. There's not a very long list of true national championship contenders. Georgia is certainly on that. That comes with no guarantees, but it certainly makes Georgia the envy of most of the rest of college football, does it not? I think it does. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm working on a story now that I'm going to post it a little bit, Brandon. It's along those lines. And, you know, I, I get it. You know, you, you're never going to make all the fans happy, and there's really two ways to look at it. There's those people that, that only want to hear the good things. They, they don't want to hear the bad things. If you say bad things, then, you know, they want to know where you're born and, you know, what color underwear you're wearing. Uh, and then there's the people that don't want to hear the good things because they say that sunshine pumping and rat poison, they only want to hear the bad things. So we, we tell you the good things and the bad things. That's what we do. It's, it's in every team has good things and bad things. You can make a case probably be for eight to ten teams as national championship contenders, but then you can take those same eight to ten teams and come up with reasons why they won't win. So, you know, the reality of it is is, is nothing's perfect. And, and to your point, uh, you know, Georgia has recruited well. The roster management, uh, I think, is excellent. I think, you know, what Georgia and Kirby have done in the transfer portal uh, has been no, nothing short of amazing. I mean, you know, Eli Wolf and, and Cager came along, and, you know, plugged those gaps, and now we see Tyke Smith. And, and last year's acquisition of JT Daniels uh, was, was phenomenal. Um, so I think Georgia is well positioned. Let me ask you this. What are you most interested in learning about when practices begin, speaking to players here coming up pretty soon, presumably Kirby Smart getting a chance to speak to him shortly after that, what you hear in terms of whispers. What do you want to know first, I guess, in terms of how these early practices are going to play out? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, the health of players is always interesting to me. Uh, you know, Dominic Blaylock was still not cleared when we were at the SEC media days. Kyrus Jackson was coming off of a knee surgery procedure. You know, I thought that was the biggest news for Media Day was that Kiaris had knee surgery, albeit arthroscopic, but that's a very important player. I mean, Kiaris Jackson lining up in the slot, uh, you know, that's a guy JT can throw passes to in the dark. I mean, you talk about a security valve and, and a team leader, a tough guy uh, that represents a lot on the field. N'Kobe Dean, uh, his, um, you know, his health coming off the labrum, that's probably, you know, even bigger uh, Kirby says everything's on schedule, but so the first thing I'm going to want to know is who's out there, where are they at? We think Marcus Rosemey Jack Sane is cleared. Uh, I think we feel really good about that. Uh, is Dominic Blaylock going to be ready? Uh, is is Nicobe Dean 100? Uh, percent You know, those to me are the are the primary questions. Yeah, I mean, on the receiver front, I will tell you this: as someone who obviously cheers for this team, wants it to win games, I have upgraded my expectations recently for Marcus Rosemey Jackson when he suffered that injury at Florida last year I didn't know I mean that was tough that was ugly to watch hard to see and it seems like based on the videos that leak out his recovery is really going pretty well so I've probably upgraded my expectations for what I think he can do this year but admittedly I have probably downgraded my expectations for what Dominic Blaylock is going to be able to do and I hate that because I think that Dom is a really good player when he's healthy but that dog is just not barking right now in terms of hearing that he's 
you know, back and ready to go. I think eventually he will be, and there's a lot more good moments in a, in a uniform for Blaylock to come. But, boy, you're just not hearing a lot of good news on that, at least of right now, for Blaylock. That doesn't mean it can't change quickly. Maybe it will. But, man, that's been pretty quiet this summer, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, he's running in a straight line. That's an August injury, and, and you know, I'll tell you, it, 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 I understand that fans want guys out there. I do. But it's it's the thing I just I hate the most is, you know, oh, hey, where's George? You know, how's George Pickett? I just want to say, hey, pretend that was your kid. Calm down. I don't know if George is ever going to play another game at Georgia. He wants to. He wants to. But the injury occurred in March. At the end of March at that. Is, is it realistic to ask George Pickens to be out there in less than nine months from a torn ACL? You know, maybe, maybe not. But, but you know, to me, fans cheering on injuries, is that, it's kind of like man, it, there's nothing you can do, man. Don't even, you know, it's like they'll play when they can play. It's not a matter of them trying harder. It's not a matter of, you know, George getting a better medical staff or, you know, the, you know some of the idiots, oh, well, you know, the strength and conditioning staff. But no, it's not that. It's football, and injuries happen, and as rules change, guys get hit in different parts of their bodies, you know, and, and stuff happens. We're seeing a lot of torn labrums now. We still see ACL. Uh, you know, Georgia prepares as well, as safe uh, as any team out there. And, you know, there's just not much you can do. And so while it's important to know about injuries, there's just from a, from a rooting on or encouragement, you know, there's things that go beyond – uh, the player's effort or the doctor's skill level. There's an element of, of, of faith and, and just medical science behind it that, you know, we, we really can't cover. So I, Marcus Roseman-Jack saying is, is, is going to be a go. To your point, Dominic, uh, during July at least, was still running in the straight line. They're going to be cautious. It appears that he came back too soon the last time from the knee, um, and, and you don't want to do that again. You don't want to end up with two knee, knee injuries. Um, on the offensive line, here's the thing that I've said, Mike. I am very curious what Kirby Smart says because I think there's kind of a growing sense, at least it's my sense, and I'm starting to get the sense that some of the people who watch and listen to my show agree with me on this. That Clemson defensive line, man, that's a load. Miles Murphy's hard to block. You know, They have a lot of talent coming off that edge. I sort of want Jamari Salyer starting at tackle for that game against Clemson. And with all due respect to guys like Amaris Mims and Broderick Jones and you know Xavier Trust, who I still think can be a good player, I got a lot of respect for the talent that's at that tackle position. But I just think that you got to be careful against Clemson. I'm kind of rooting it for, for it to be Salyer that does start there. And I'm curious to hear the language that Smart uses if early in the process they acknowledge that, at, the, at least at the beginning of the season, that Sire is still a tackle for them, or if they treat him like he's kind of more commonly thought of, a very versatile player who's probably you know suited for the inside game, you know the guard position at the NFL. The language that Smart uses to discuss the offensive line when he gives his first uh, press conference, that to me is going to be really interesting because I do think that it could go a little ways towards determining maybe what that five does look like against Clemson, knowing that that's a real Clemson strength that you've got to try to negate. Yeah, well, before we get too carried away on Jamari Salyer, let's remember that JT got pretty beat up by Mississippi State and Missouri, and you know he wasn't exactly a Hall of Fame left tackle. If he was, he'd stay there, and they wouldn't have moved Xavier Trust there. So, you know, I like Jamari a lot. I think he's a future NFL offensive guard. There's a reason he's not. There was a reason that they're moving him inside. So now the one thing we do know is he's played a lot of games there. But to my point, 
JT Daniels got hit a lot in the last four games of the season. Now, some of that was on JT. JT held the ball. You know, he had to realize that, hey, this ain't the Pac-12. That guy coming off the edge is getting there a step faster. And, you know, if you see that pressure coming, you're not going to be able to hold it and complete the curl. You're going to have to audible or adjust that route. And I think JT's learned that. I think the offense has adjusted. And, and so that's the, the first line of defense is your quarterback at the line of scrimmage getting you in the right protection and, and getting rid of the ball quickly. So that, that's the first thing that you can do right uh, and do better. It's like Jake Fromm used to say uh, when I asked him at the Combine, well, what do you say to people that say you don't get out of trouble like Justin Fields can get out of trouble? He says, I get out of trouble before I get in trouble at the line of scrimmage, calling the right protections, making the right checks. So that's number one. Number two, they'll put the best guy there. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what you think, I think, the fans think. Listen, these guys see him in practice every single day. They get to see who can block Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith and, and, what, and who worked well against Aziz Adjulari. They didn't just throw Xavier Truss out there and go, hmm, I wonder what he can do. No, no, he'd been tested. Now doing it in a game is different. Uh, Cincinnati had a good plan. Cincinnati was a good team. That, that's where, you know, the rival fan bases, you know, that you know want to look at that game with crossed eyes. They don't understand. Cincinnati was a good football team. Cincinnati would have beaten Notre Dame last year, no doubt in my mind. That was a good team that was playing for a piece of history. Now, back to your point, I don't know how far along Xavier Truss has come since the Cincinnati game. I don't know how far along a true freshman like Amarius Mims has gotten. And all the talk about Broderick Jones being the next Andrew Thomas is out the window for me because I ain't heard or seen it. It's year two. This is why you've got to be careful with those recruiting rankings. They don't always work out. Now, maybe this guy will make it, but he ain't making it as quickly or as strongly as Andrew Thomas did. So the, the one thing I would say is let's, let's rest assured that Kirby Smart and, and Matt Luke, this ain't their first rodeo, will have the best five guys out there. And, yes, Clemson will absolutely be the best defensive front Georgia plays all year. So let me just say this in response to you know some of the evaluation there of Salyer. I mean, I think it'd be great in life if you could find an Andrew Thomas, but I think you also got to leave room in your mind for the idea of just having solid starters, right? I mean, it's like you want to be better than that if possible, but it's also nice just to have somebody who kind of just sort of gets the job done. And I would say that Salyer, on the whole, last year playing tackle, got the job done. Was he the best offense tackle in the SEC? No, he was not. Was he the best in the country? Probably not. Was he better than most? I would say probably so. And I think, I think I'd say the same thing about Warren McClendon there as well. McClendon, I think, has got a really high upside. As of last year, he was certainly the kind of guy who got his job done. You know that he did because very few times during a game did you ever mention his name. He was just kind of over there doing what he's supposed to do. You know, the Georgia offensive line measured by sack rate and things like that wasn't perfect a year ago. Not as good as it was certainly in, like, say, 2019 when against, you know, pass pressure they were actually really good. A little bit of a step down in that regard a year ago. But once again, you know, I think there's more than just being – you know, is he Andrew Thomas or not? There's also this thing of can you find guys who are solid starters who play kind of above the line in terms of the level of expectation you have for the position? And I feel for pretty confident saying Salyer is at least that. Yeah, I think he's solid. But, you know, I think 2019 and 2018 had a lot to do with Jake Fromm calling the, calling the protections at the line versus last year you had inexperienced quarterbacks back there that, that hadn't played in as many games that, that weren't as adept. I mean, I'll give you an example. When Stetson Bennett got injured against Florida, he'd called the wrong protection package. He should have never been hit. That that hit was a result of, you know, improper protection. So, you know, it takes a lot for the quarterback, you know, to run the team properly. Things that we don't know, 
things that happen behind the scenes. You know, there's a lot of things that are built into the Georgia offense, uh, you know, to enable these quarterbacks to avoid the hits, but they've got to call the right protections. They've got to get rid of the football. Um, so that's number one. That has a lot to do with the sack numbers is the quarterback himself. Uh, two, to your point on Salyer, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Xavier Trust would have done sooner or later. What I know is they're going to put the five, the best five unit out there, and that's just not something that we can judge from the outside. We just don't have the knowledge. We don't see enough. It's one of those deals where you've got to take the coach's word for it. Um, I didn't think the Georgia offensive line was adequate last year. Uh, when they needed to run the ball against Florida with the game on the line, they could not do it. They went three and out on four out of five series. The offensive line failed. Um, you know, they, they failed. They, they trailed Tennessee at halftime. They couldn't score from the one-yard line on Tennessee. So this was not a, this was not an offensive line, in my opinion, that was great. Now, was it all Jamari Salyer? No, it wasn't Jamari Salyer. There were issues at the center position from the onset. I thought Trey Hill had a disappointing year. Good for him that he got drafted, but he certainly wasn't the best center in the league as we were led to believe before the season. And then, you know, Warren McClendon was a, a freshman All-American, but, you know, he, he wasn't Isaiah Wilson. So there was a drop-off on talent on the offensive line. There was a drop-off in execution on the offensive line. There was a drop-off in the run game from DeAndre Swift to, to Zamir White as the primary carrier. You know, these are areas where they need to get better across the board to win a national championship. Last thing, I, you know, I've said before that I think for a football team, you got to have two seemingly contradictory things going on at the same time. You're going to have the stability that's created by good chemistry, but it's also nice to have some new blood to spice things up a little bit. And I think that potentially Georgia's got the perfect recipe for that with Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick and Tyke Smith stepping into big roles and kind of just bringing some new energy with them to practice when it begins later on this week that, you know, listen, I think the guys who've been here create the culture for Georgia. And I think that the new guys who are stepping in enhance that culture potentially. And I'm curious to see how that all meshes together. And I'm sure you are as well. Yes. I like the way you said that. I, I think the culture, number one, is really important. And, you know, that's one positive with this team. There's a lot of leadership, you know, the Kobe Dean, uh, you know, Kirby smart saying that he'd never seen a guy that stayed that engaged uh, you know, that, that means everything. When, when, when Coach Smart is saying that, you know, Louis Seen, uh, Jordan Davis, JT Daniels, Samir White, Jamari Salyer, Kiaris Jackson, I mean, these are very strong leaders. You know, and, and knock on wood, you didn't see any Georgia guys, you know, have any issues, you know, Oklahoma getting guys arrested and stuff, you know, LSU off-field. You don't see that at Georgia this year. Guys are holding one another accountable. That is a really good sign. When a team is staying out of the headlines for the wrong reasons, and holding one another accountable so that when you do get new players, to your point, they fit into that culture and, as you said, add some juice to it. And then add some competition, by the way. You make Amir Speed sitting back there going, hey, welcome, Darian Kendrick. Right. You can have my starting job. No, he's not. There's competition there. I mean, same with the star position. You know, William Poole's been on the team forever. He wants more than a jersey to hang up in his, in his room. You don't think he's going to bring a little bit of extra yep. fire? Yep. Uh, Latavius Brainy as well. Yep. Hey, he played good in the Peach Bowl. Yep. You think Tyke Smith's just going to walk in and do No, these guys are going to have to earn those jobs. Eric Gilbert, Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint was recruited to play that position. You know, uh, you know, you saw what uh, Adonai Mitchell did in the spring game. He, have, he ain't out there jogging around for his health. Eric Gilbert's going to have to earn those targets, spend that extra time in the film room. So anytime there's an influx of talent, and typically we look at the freshmen, right? And it was hard for freshmen because they may be talented, but how much of the offense did they know? 
you know, did they have that man strength to compete? Yeah, not really. But you start bringing in transfers to compete against other seasoned guys that have been in the Georgia program, and, and let's not underestimate them. Let's remember uh, Demetrius Robertson came in here, and, and I was just as guilty of it as anybody. You know, I looked at his numbers at Cal and said, oh, well, let's just put him at the top of the depth chart. He's going to be a star. Listen, he couldn't even get on the field, man. He couldn't beat out the guys here. He was not in good enough shape to compete with these guys. And then even the next year, he struggled against the physicality. So it's not a given that the new guys are going to come in here and walk all over the SEC. By the same token, they will push and make the team better, as you said, Brandon. I think it's all very, very true, Mike, and I just can't wait to watch it play out. I'm so excited about the start of the season. Can't wait to read your coverage of it at dognation.com. And, of course, talk to you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort again very soon as well. Mike, thanks so much for your time. We'll look forward to speaking to you soon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So let me just say one thing here really quick, and then we'll move on to our SEC Through. On the subject of like what we were talking about the offensive line a moment ago, you know, I've told y'all before that I think to win a national championship, you got to have superstar players. you got to have, as we've measured it, you know, half dozen first-round picks, half dozen, you know, all first-team all-SEC type guys. You've got to have, like, measurable superstars, household names, the kind of people that kids know, that opposing fans know. You've got to have well-known names, big-time contributors to win a national championship. But it's important to note this, though. You can't have 22 of those guys. This is not fantasy football, right? This is an all-star team. That every championship is also going to have role players there as well. I mean, I'd love nothing more than for Georgia to have Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas book in first-round talented offensive tackle. Now, whatever happened to Wilson once he got to the NFL, that's his business. But the fact of the matter is he played as a first-round talent at Georgia. That's why he got drafted where he did. You'd love to be able to replicate that with this year's team. But if that was what it would require to win a national championship, then nobody would ever win a national championship because you're not going to have, you know, 22 first-round picks across the board on both offense and defense. That it's okay sometimes to have solid starters. It's okay. Now, if you want to say tackle is such a position, uh, such a position of importance that you've got to have great guys there that you can have okay guy at whatever position, but, but offensive tackles where you have to have a great player – I could maybe listen to that because obviously we'd certainly understand that the tackle is important, although it sounds like in the NFL they're starting to kind of rethink some of that in relationship to its hierarchy in the offensive line. But the point is, if that's the argument you want to make, I could somewhat listen to you on that. But I just hope you hear me when I say this, that you got to identify your superstars. You better have a half dozen of them. You better have big-time, big names, Roquan Smith-type you know, performances, what Alabama seemingly always has a lot of. You better have some of that. But nobody's got all of that. Nobody's superstars across the board. In some cases, it's just guy who does his job with little fanfare, you know, doesn't get noticed by the fans a lot, but, but just goes out there and makes his contribution. The 2017 team for Georgia had a good bit of that. There were guys that we were always falling all over ourselves to praise. There were some guys we barely noticed, but they brought their lunch pail to the stadium each and every Saturday, and they just went to work. And this team's got to have some of that kind of stuff, too, if it's going to achieve what it has the potential of uh, possibly achieving. Before we do our SEC through, let me remind you about the Finnish Long Drink. Great time of year to be enjoying that. You know, it's from Finland, which makes it kind of cool. And the story for, like, how it got started back in the 1950s when the summer games were in Helsinki, it's actually kind of a cool backstory. The things that I drink, I kind of like knowing kind of where they came from and what it means, right? And the Finnish Long Drink has actually got a pretty cool 
I don't know, origin story, if you want to say it like that. It's worth reading. If you go to thelongdrink.com, you can you know read about it. But also just enjoy it, because ultimately it's really about how it tastes. And this is a ready-to-drink cocktail right out of the can. It's like a citrus soda. There's like a gin kick to it. It's really cool. And it's not all just citrus. Like You also have like the, the cranberry. You've got the long drink strong, the long drink zero. You've got four different varieties to choose from. And it just kind of different things suit different people. I, I do like the original that comes in the blue can. It's kind of, kind of got the grapefruit, uh, grapefruit flavor. The long drink strong, I like that there as well because, let's face it, uh, every now and then that's uh, kind of what you want. 8.5% alcohol by volume. That is good times all the way around. It's just worth trying. You got So many of the folks in our audience have tried it. They've enjoyed it. So check out thelongdrink.com to find out more. Thelongdrink.com, you can find out where you can pick some up. All right, so this is kind of interesting. So Big Cat Bryant, who formerly of Auburn, at one point in time a uh, prospect on Georgia's radar in the class of, I think, 2017, if I remember that correctly. Um, so Big Cat Bryant has left Auburn. He's transferred to UCF. UCF has started its practices. They had kind of a media day, and Big Cat Bryant was asked how this UCF team, now coached by Gus Malzahn, would fare in the SEC. And Big Cat said he thought they would beat certain teams in the SEC, and he mentioned his old school, Auburn by name, which is really interesting. That'll generate a lot of headlines. I'm sure Auburn fans reacted to that in a very strong way. And I'll tell you what this reminds me of. I do think this is going to be a really hard year for Brian Harson as the Auburn coach because there is such an obvious comparison. You know, Malzahn became the butt of jokes for a lot of Georgia fans because Georgia beat Gus every single year, and they really enjoy doing so. But the honest truth is it's actually fairly difficult to accomplish at Auburn what he did. He won the league as head coach there in 2013, won the West there as at 2017, beat Alabama and Nick Saban three times. That is not an easy thing to do, that – even though Malzahn was kind of a stale, tired coach by the time his career came to an end after last season, the fact of the matter is, living up to what he did for a guy like Brian Harson, who has won games at Boise State, but you know steps into a spot in the SEC where he's totally unfamiliar, it's actually not going to be that easy to do. And the fact that Malzahn is still coaching at UCF, my guess is he will have some success there, and you know he will have the, uh, especially through the transfer portal, the ability to attract players that the comparison, Malzahn still active in coaching, Harson at his old job at Auburn, the comparison for Harson and Auburn may not be always a favorable. It kind of reminds me of the initial stages of the Kirby Smart era at Georgia. When Smart first took the job in 2016, Mark Richt immediately jumping over and taking the head position at Miami. That did not do Kirby Smart and Georgia any favors because – once again, Rick, he hadn't won a national championship at Georgia, but he'd won a lot of games, multiple SECs, been to some big bowl games, and that was going to be a lot for Kirby Smart to live up to when he first took the Georgia job. And that first year when Smart was kind of scuffling, as a lot of first-year coaches do, boy, there's all those comparisons with what Rick is doing at Miami. And there was all this invitation for media people to say, wow, is Georgia sure they have the right coach? They could still go out there and have Mark Rick. Now, ultimately, Smart put all that in the dust with the success that he's had since 2017. But in the early stages, a lot of you remember that. Rick being an active coach at Miami was a little bit of a tough comparison for Kirby Smart when he was losing to Vanderbilt and losing to Tennessee and some of the things that were going on there that year. Well, I'm not quite so sure that Brian Harson is going to be as good as Kirby Smart was at putting that comparison in the rearview mirror. In fact, I'm fairly certain that he may suffer in that comparison from time to time. It would not surprise me if Malzahn wins some games there at UCF, including here this year. And it would not surprise me at some point in time we hear a little bit about some buyer's remorse coming from the Plains. A couple of other SEC stories to get to here for a moment. We have an SEC team that has now started practice. It is Tennessee. Their first game got moved up to a Thursday, which gives them a chance to move up 
their start of practice there as well when you can start practices based on when you play your first game so Tennessee gets a chance to start theirs a little early and there will be a lot of attention on that Tennessee quarterback competition I saw where Joe Milton the Michigan transfer met with the reporters here a little bit a lot of folks know who he is I think there's also some curiosity from Vol circles for a guy who's been on the team and was a former elite recruit, a holdover from the Jeremy Pruitt era who had a chance to go somewhere else. You know, how does Harrison Bailey factor into all this? Ironically, um, Milton's not the only high-profile transfer the Vols have. Hendon Hooker, the former Virginia Tech quarterback, he's on hand there as well. So there will be a lot to be seen about this Tennessee quarterback situation of Vols practice is going on right now. So there'll be news seemingly coming out about on this daily um, as the Vols try to figure out who their quarterback is. One final thing for our SEC through, and I teased this a little earlier, and you know Connor Riley and I talked about this yesterday, that if you look at high-profile flip that could still be out there for George, the name that he and I both mentioned yesterday is a possibility on that. Um, you know, was a guy like Mikel Williams. We'll obviously keep our eye on that. But uh, somebody else to kind of think about here a little bit is Kristen Miller. Miller, who has recently put out a uh, list of finalists, and this is worth paying attention to with uh, Georgia still kind of in the mix here. We have the uh, Kristen Miller uh, uh, screen grab that we can uh, show uh, there for that. Uh, yeah, uh, so Kristen Miller says he's going to be committing, uh, committing at the Adidas All-American Bowl, and it comes down to you know Georgia and USC or Ohio State. He gave Go Dogs there twice in his um, uh, in his in his hashtag there. So in, in this case for uh, Miller coming down to those uh, final choices, uh, potentially uh, thinking about the uh, future there for that. Maybe Georgia kind of still staying involved in that Miller recruitment, having a chance to do that. Obviously, that's one of those big names we will continue to watch as uh, Georgia is in the mix right there. We'll make that your uh, SEC through. And uh, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, I want to show you this on the screen for those of you watching on video for a moment. For some reason, I've always really liked this kind of stuff. The other day when Nick Saban was talking about how long he was going to continue to coach, one of the things that he said was is that he had been a part of a team for every year since, you know, 50 years, however long it's been, since he was a small child. He said he'd been basically a part of a team, and he said he wasn't quite sure if he wanted to ever give that up. And I certainly understand where Saban's coming from on that because there is something special about being on a team, the kind of brotherhood that you share when you do, you know, have that chance to be on a team together. And, you know, this time of year we see some of this kind of stuff from Georgia. A lot of the players will get together with their position coach and they'll have a little, you know, fun and fellowship together at that coach's house before the start of practices. Glenn Schumann shared some of that. I guess they had their what they call their second annual linebacker Olympics. You see the photos of the Georgia players, some good looking uh, young men there in terms of guys that clearly have been working hard over the course of this offseason to be in good shape. Nicobe Dean, who Mike Griffith talked about before, he's all smiles. Uh, you see a lot. Uh, you see uh, Quay Walker there, Smile Mon there. You see a lot of guys who are, you know, really kind of uh, ready to go for the upcoming year, and that's great to see. But I also like the idea, and frankly, I'm just a little envious of the way in which these guys get to share those moments together as teammates. Nothing more special than the bond that comes from being on a team. And here before the start of what is going to be a very hard grind for Georgia during practices, I think all of us are glad to know that the Georgia players and the coaches are sharing a little time for themselves to have some fun and enjoy each other before they start (laughs) battling against each other once summer practices begin just a short time from now. So that's really good to be able to see. Hey, uh, before we get ready to wrap up today, we love to do our Gatorator roll call. We show off our golden shoe winners. Sometimes it's not always related to Gator hating. Uh, Pretty good 
uh, uh, edit here from our buddy Mad Dog on social media. I'll share this. Obviously, we're still reacting to SEC expansion, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. What Mad Dog writes is that things are going to be a little different for Texas and the SEC. And the, you can go back to that, please. On the left side of the screen, you see the horns up, steer with the uh, horns pointing up from the Big 12. And on the other side, you see horns down in the SEC with those uh, with those horns pointing down there. And, yeah, that could indeed be the outlook for what it looks like for Texas once they join the SEC. Very funny stuff. And Mad Dog will make him our golden shoe winner today. He's won a lot of them. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, how about a Gator Hitter countdown 87 days from right now? Dogs get some revenge against Florida. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Your chance to uh, have your comments read, whether you hit me up on Twitter, at Dog Nation Daily, or in our comment section there at dognation.com. I've got a couple of tweets I'm going to read. One of these, by way of promotion, of course, every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, we do SEC Country Live on the SEC Country Facebook and SEC Country Live YouTube pages. And today we're going to have a guest on, Willie Anderson, former great offensive lineman, many-time pro bowler, uh, also a personal coach of four, Griffin Scroggs, who just committed to UGA. So we'll check out uh, Willie Anderson today on SEC Country Live, talking about the offensive line game, talking about the SEC, and also talking about his impact on Scroggs. He also tweeted at me. The other day we were talking about the Dan Mullen video, the goofy video of him dancing, and I said that you know, Texas and Oklahoma, uh, <laughs> that I wouldn't blame them if they don't want to come to the SEC now after all this. And what Willie wrote back was he said um, that Texas and Oklahoma are now more excited about being in the SEC because they're confident their older white guys can dance better than ours, meaning Dan Mullen at Florida. I think that's pretty funny from Willie Anderson there on that front. Uh, a couple other comments I wanted to read for you here today. Uh, Matt Crass writes in to say that uh, he knows it's early, but any chance of a takeover at Vanderbilt, he says, just got tickets and hotel for the weekend and would love to finally hit one. So I don't know that we'll be doing an official uh, Dog Nation invasion for Nashville and the Vanderbilt game. I'm actually doing a little bit of extra stuff this year. I've got some fun announcements coming up about some new things that I'm doing this football season, in addition to the stuff that I already do. This is not in replacement of anything. It's just in addition to. And so that actually may prevent me from being in Nashville on Friday night. But here's the one thing I can recommend to you. For those of you that occasionally like traveling for these games, and by now most Georgia fans have kind of figured this out because gosh knows there are 40,000 of them uh, the last time Georgia was there in 2019. But one of the great road trips you can take, really for almost any weekend, is going to Nashville. And yes, I know at this point in time it's played out, and there's every bachelorette party in the entire universe has been there, and you know the population of the city is growing by leaps and bounds from you know all these like New Yorkers and whatnot that move there. I, I do get that, but it is still a really fun weekend town. I mean, it does deliver for just a great, great weekend. And so if you're like Matt and you're going to that game, easy to get tickets to. Um, and you you know do some of the stuff there around Nashville for all of that. You really should do it. I'd love to do like a big official Dog Nation invasion there at some point. We may just not get to do that, uh, you know, for this particular year, just because we've got you know a couple other things going on that I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a chance to announce for you. You're coming up pretty soon. But if you yourself get a chance for an unofficial invasion, and I told Matt on Twitter that. You know, if all things go well with that game, hopefully I'll be having my own unofficial Dog Nation invasion. You know, at uh, you know one of those 
Broadway establishments or a few of those Broadway establishments before Saturday night is done. We may do an impromptu, unofficial Dog Nation invasion there, but if you have a chance to make a weekend of that, my hearty recommendation is for you to do that. As far as back on the field again for football, Oren Cheely had a very interesting comment about Texas A&M, who I have talked about is eventually, now they're not my pick to win the SEC West this year. For me, that's still Alabama, but I do think that at some point in time, you know, A&M could overtake Alabama. I think they're a program on the rise, but Oren brings up a really good point, and this should definitely be part of the discussion. What he says on Twitter is that he's confused about this Aggie team. He says, I may be wrong, but it seems to me like they will be trying to win the same formula that UGA used, defense, running game, special teams, and obviously not particularly a dynamic quarterback play. That's I added that last part at the end, but he mentions defense, special teams, and running the ball. And to a certain extent, what Oren is saying is true. And it's one of the reasons why I stopped just short of picking them to win the SEC West this year. I think they could go 11-1, but I don't think they could beat Alabama. I don't believe they'll win the SEC West because, as Oren points out here, I don't think they have enough of that passing game as of yet. Hayes King, who is likely to be the starting quarterback for Texas A&M, is probably going to be pretty good. I think he's a pretty good prospect, but... There is no obvious answer to who's the big wide receiver talent. Who's that Who's that special, special teams player? Now, Isaiah Spiller as a running back is that. They've got some other you know running backs waiting in the wings who are pretty good too. But that dynamic receiver, I don't know that Texas A&M necessarily has that right now. And until they don't, then, you know, I think you might hold off on making any kind of really big predictions for them. One of the things from a schematic standpoint they do that's a little bit different than Georgia is they do play two-back set a lot. They have a lot of you know, two-backs in the game, and it's not necessarily full-back. It's just a couple of backs, and um, you know, Jimbo Fisher's pretty creative how he does that. But I think Oren's right, and maybe not enough people have noticed this, that you know, we talk about the teams that have won the SEC recently being these fully formed explosive offenses like Alabama and LSU, and there's this common question of, well, when is Georgia going to join the mix and be able to do that? But it is very interesting that very quietly Texas A&M, way to the west of the current footprint of the SEC, has built itself up as a really a legit playoff contender. They probably should have been among the Final Four a year ago, and they've done it in an entirely different way. They're not looking to score 50 points a game, uh, at least not right now the way the roster is currently constructed, and Oren, I believe, is really right to bring that up. So really good comments all the way around. Thank you for being here for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Please find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs, that tired A.C. unit that's maybe not going to make it through the very hot weather that is still yet to come here during the month of August and into September. Get it tuned back up to Factor Fresh Specs. It costs just $99. You can do that today. So check them out, rsandrews.com. Check us out back here again tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. We'll look forward to speaking to you then.